Welcome to the February 24th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll look at work from researchers who found pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants of cancer predisposition genes in nearly 14% of adults with AML. Next, we'll review research demonstrating that a recently identified series of resolvins reduces neutrophil extracellular trap formation and enhances clearance of these nets by macrophages, suggesting a new mechanism for the resolution of inflammation and coagulopathies associated with various infections. We'll conclude with research demonstrating that patients with CLL undergoing long-term venetoclax treatment exhibit a high incidence of cytopenias, clonal hematopoiesis, and myeloid neoplasms, and may acquire BAX mutations in normal myeloid cells. The first article is entitled, Identification and Prioritization of Myeloid Malignancy Germline Variants in a Large Cohort of Adult AML Patients. And the first author is Fei Yang of Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. In this article, Yang and co-authors report that they found pathogenic or likely pathogenic germline variants in 13.6% of 391 adult patients from the BEAT AML study, suggesting a potential role for routine screening. The issue of germline predisposition to myeloid malignancies such as AML has been of increasing interest to researchers and clinicians. Two decades ago, RUNX1 was the first gene associated with a germline predisposition to myeloid malignancies. Subsequently, a number of other genes, such as CEBPA, GATA2, and DDX41, were linked to increased susceptibility to myeloid neoplasms. In 2016, the World Health Organization added myeloid neoplasms with germline predisposition to the classification scheme for myeloid malignancies. For patients, being diagnosed with a tumor in this category has significant clinical implications, particularly with regard to donor selection for allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplant from a family member. The diagnosis can also influence the choice of transplant preparative regimens for AML patients and spur the need for genetic counseling and cancer surveillance in family members. Furthermore, Identification of specific pathogenic germline variants could have implications for the development of targeted therapies and precision therapeutic approaches. The frequency of germline variants in unselected adult AML patients has previously not been well-defined. However, a number of small studies of AML patients who have a family history of MDS or AML have shown that 11 to 37% of families have genetic variants of genes known to be associated with higher cancer risk. In the present study, Yang and co-authors sought to catalog germline variants in cancer susceptibility genes based on a cohort of AML patients that they said were representative of those found in a typical adult leukemia clinic. The study included a total of 391 AML patients from the BEAT AML 1.0 Collaborative Research Initiative. Tumor samples and matched skin biopsies were available for all patients, and medical records were accessed to obtain molecular genetic data and clinical information. They used whole exome sequencing to assess paired tumor and skin specimens. A total of 291 genes were selected for variant curation based on a comprehensive literature review. The strength of evidence for the genes was categorized from Tier 1 to Tier 5, 
depending on their reported association with cancer predisposition or contribution to the pathogenesis of hematological malignancies. The researchers identified 1,547 unique variants in a total of 228 different genes. They found that 53 out of the 391 patients, or 13.6%, harbored pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants. In addition, 252 patients, or 64.5%, had one or more variants of uncertain significance. Overall, 44% of the pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants were in Tier 1 genes, or those with established linkage to hematologic malignancy predisposition. The most frequently mutated of these Tier 1 genes was DDX41 in 7 patients, followed by FANC-M in 4 patients, and BRIP1 in 2 patients. Researchers said that based on current guidelines, 11 of the patients had variants that were clinically important, including variants in the Tier 1 genes DDX41, GATA2, NF1, PTPN11, and TERT. Interestingly, the authors identified 22 patients with variants in DNA damage response, or DDR, genes. These included 8 patients with pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants in CHECK2, while a number of others had variants in Fanconi anemia pathway genes. In a commentary on this research, Anna Brown of the University of South Australia in Adelaide said the identification of so many variants in DDR genes represents an interesting pattern with potential clinical implications. She said that understanding the role of the DDR pathway mutations in hematologic malignancies might lead to the consideration of DDR inhibitors, such as PARP inhibitors, as a treatment approach for selected patients. To date, PARP inhibitors have demonstrated only limited activity as single agents in unselected AML patients, Brown wrote in her commentary. She concluded by saying that this study adds to accumulating evidence that prospective assessment of germline genetics is important as the AML field moves toward precision medicine. Of note, there was no statistical association between age and the detection of pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants in the study by Yang. However, variants in DDX41 and CHECK2 were more prevalent in older individuals. Thus, authors said their findings highlight the importance of screening for germline variants even among elderly patients with AML. The next research article is entitled, Resolvin T-Series Reduce Neutrophil Extracellular Traps, or NETS. The first author is Nan Chang of Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston. Neutrophils are on the front lines of defense against invading pathogens. They employ many defense mechanisms that destroy microorganisms, but that can also be deleterious to the host if persistent. One of these defense mechanisms is the release of nets to trap microbes in extracellular spaces, which is termed netosis. Once the initial infection is controlled, it is important to turn off neutrophil release of nets. Otherwise, uncontrolled or excessive netosis can cause a chronic pro-inflammatory, pro-thrombotic environment associated with various disease pathologies, including autoimmune diseases and coagulopathies. As one example of many, Excessive netosis is commonly seen with COVID-19 infection and can contribute to chronic pulmonary inflammation and coagulopathies if not shut off. Resolving acute inflammatory responses such as net production is accomplished through a variety of mechanisms. Among these is a superfamily of specialized chemicals termed pro-resolving mediators. 
These mediators include resolvins, protectins, and marasins that predominantly act on phagocytes and the innate immune system. These chemicals are produced and secreted by a wide variety of cells in the body in response to local or systemic inflammation. Previously, Chang and co-authors described the identification of an entirely new series that they termed 13-series resolvins. That name comes from their distinctive structure, as each carries a carbon-13 position alcohol. In all, four of these novel resolvins were identified, which are called RVT1, RVT2, RVT3, and RVT4. What brings these concepts together, Natosis and the 13-series resolvins? There is previous research demonstrating, for example, D-series resolvins can reduce nets in the setting of acute lung injury and lung inflammation. In the current paper in blood, the authors asked if the more recently identified T-series of resolvins could also regulate net formation. They looked at blood from healthy volunteers that was incubated with RVTs, vehicle control, or for active comparison, a D-series resolvin, or the pro-inflammatory leukotriene B4 as a positive control. Then they added a netosis inducer and stained the blood for visualization of nets. Some of the RVTs and RVD2 potently reduced nets. By contrast, pro-inflammatory leukotriene B4 increased nets, as expected. When looked at separately, RVT3 did not lead to net reductions in PMA-stimulated whole blood while RVT1, RVT2, and RVT4 were highly active. RVTs also decreased natosis in isolated human polymorphonuclear neutrophils that were stimulated with IL-1-beta. In this case, each of the four RVTs decreased natosis in a dose- and time-dependent manner. In other studies, the RVTs also were shown to reduce nets in mice with Staph aureus infection. Each of the RVTs reduced nets by approximately 30% compared to vehicle-treated mice. Furthermore, all RVTs were shown to enhance uptake of nets by human macrophages. Among the four, the most potent was RVT2, which induced an increase in net phagocytosis by more than 50%. That result was comparable to what was observed for RVD2, which yielded an increase in macrophage uptake of about 51%. Based on its apparent potency among RVTs, RVT2 was brought forward to experiments looking at molecular targets and intracellular signals behind RVT-stimulated phagocytosis. They evaluated the cyclic AMP protein kinase A axis, based in part on past research, demonstrating that this cascade contributes to RVD2-stimulated phagocytosis of E. coli. They found that a PKA inhibitor and an AMPK inhibitor both reduced RVT2-stimulated phagocytosis of nets, suggesting that net uptake is associated with activation of the cyclic AMP-PKA-AMPK pathway. In a commentary on this research article, Janos Philep of the University of Montreal said, These findings are of great therapeutic potential and broad application to mitigate the deleterious consequences of aberrant net formation. Philip said the researchers provide compelling evidence that the T-series resolvins, and RVT2 in particular, have multi-pronged actions that include suppression of net formation and facilitation of macrophage clearance of nets related to bacterial and viral infection. According to Philip, the varying potency of RVTs in this study suggests the involvement of different receptors on neutrophils and macrophages. However, these receptors remain to be identified. In future studies, he said, investigators may want to focus on identifying these receptors, as well as the potential interplay between RVTs and other pro-resolving lipid mediators.
Taken together, the results from Chiang and colleagues indicate that RVTs represent an opportunity to regulate net-mediated collateral tissue damage related to infection. Further research into resolvent pathways and receptors could lead to insights in the management of diseases associated with netosis, including autoimmune diseases, COVID-19 infection, lung inflammation, and ARDS, and some cancers. The final research article is entitled Clonal Hematopoiesis, Myeloid Disorders and Bax Mutated Myelopoiesis in Patients Receiving Venetoclax for CLL. The first author is Piers Blombury of Peter McCallum Cancer Center in Melbourne, Australia. Venetoclax is a BCL2 inhibitor that has established roles in the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia and chronic lymphocytic leukemia. In CLL, Venetoclax treatment is associated with high rates of response and durable disease control in first-line treatment and for relapsed refractory disease. However, venetoclax impacts both malignant and normal hematopoiesis. In the relapsed refractory setting, about 40% of patients develop neutropenia that usually improves following dose reduction or growth factor support. Given the impact on malignant and normal cells, Blombury and co-investigators sought to evaluate clinical and molecular abnormalities in normal hematopoietic cells in patients with CLL who were receiving long-term continuous venetoclax therapy. In the current issue of blood, they present results of a study cohort of 89 patients who were treated with either venetoclax monotherapy or venetoclax plus rituximab in four different clinical trials. In this cohort of 89 patients, persistent cytopenias of four months or more during venetoclax therapy were reported for 46 of the 89 patients, or 52%. Of those persistent cytopenias, about half were attributable to underlying CLL. The remaining patients were found to have a variety of other blood disorders. Ten of the remaining cases met criteria for therapy-related myeloid neoplasms and included eight patients with MDS, one patient with AML, and one patient with myeloproliferative MDS overlap syndrome. The five-year cumulative incidence of therapy-related myeloid neoplasms was calculated to be 8.8%. Of note, all cases of therapy-related myeloid neoplasms occurred in patients who had previously been exposed to fludarabine alkylator combination chemotherapy. Examining just the subset of 72 patients with past fludarabine alkylator exposure, the incidence of therapy-related myeloid neoplasms was 10.4% at five years after the initiation of venetoclax. Next, the investigators looked for molecular abnormalities in a subset of 41 patients without a known therapy-related myeloid neoplasm who also had adequate follow-up and samples available from time points where there was a low CLL burden or no detectable disease by flow cytometry. Using next-generation sequencing of a panel of genes associated with hematologic malignancies, they detected mutations in 34 of those 41 patients, or 83%. The majority of mutations occurred in genes associated with clonal hematopoiesis. The most common was DNMT3A, with a total of 41 mutations detected across the cohort, followed in incidence by mutations in TET2, TP53, UTAF1, ZRSR2, and ASXL1. Interestingly, of 22 patients tested who lacked any evidence of cytopenias, 77% had mutations consistent with clonal hematopoiesis. 
One of the most novel observations in this research article is the detection of loss of function Bax mutations in the myeloid cells of patients on long-term venetoclax therapy. Sequencing analysis of BCL2 family genes was performed on blood and bone marrow aspirates obtained at times when CLL involvement was minimal. Investigators found 20 different Bax mutations among 13 of 41 patients, or 32%. No mutations were detected in any other BCL2 family genes. Interestingly, three of the patients with Bax mutations in myeloid cells also had BCL2 mutations, but not Bax mutations in their CLL cells. The BCL2 mutations were known to confer resistance to venetoclax. These results suggest the intriguing possibility that the patients acquired different mutations causing venetoclax resistance in their myeloid cells versus their CLL cells. A commentary on this study was authored by Franco Izzo of the New York Genome Center and Dan A. Landau of Weill Cornell Medical Center in New York. In their commentary, Izzo and Landau say the study provides robust evidence for clonal evolution in healthy tissues of patients with CLL receiving targeted therapy with venetoclax. They said that one of the most exciting observations in the work was the divergent disruption of BCL2 in the CLL compartment and of BACs in the normal myeloid compartment in the same patients. Identifying the lineage intrinsic dependencies that drive this divergence could be useful in the development of apoptosis-targeted therapies for blood cancers, the commentary authors wrote. Overall, however, they said that the study demonstrates how a strongly targeted therapy may select for resistant mutations in both malignant and normal tissues, concluding that future studies may demonstrate whether or not this observation is unique to venetoclax. In summary, Blomberry and co-authors reveal a high incidence of clonal hematopoiesis in these heavily pretreated patients with CLL. Some of these patients have associated persistent cytopenias, and some have progressed to therapy-associated myeloid neoplasms. They also identified patients with simultaneous hematopoietic adaptation to venetoclax treatment in both the CLL and myeloid compartments, but with different mutations associated with drug resistance. They say their data should inform the clinical evaluation of abnormalities that emerge in patients with CLL being treated with venetoclax. They demonstrate the critical nature of BCL2 family proteins throughout hematopoiesis and may prompt a need for further investigation of Bax mutations as a resistance mechanism in acute myeloid leukemia. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.